Hi, I'm Susan Foch, and when I was 18 years old, I launched a national nonprofit organization out of my freshman college dorm room. Now, with almost a decade of experience under my belt, I'm here to teach you my tried and true tips and tricks for running your own nonprofit or social enterprise and how to build it from the ground up. You're listening to this podcast because you're ready to make a difference in this world. I see you, I hear you, and I'm ready to help you. Now let's make an impact together. You're listening to the Make an Impact Podcast, episode 22. And today we are talking about all things fundraising with a super rad fundraising dad. And I'm not just making that up. That's actually his Instagram handle <laughs> where you can find him on most social channels. Today, we are talking with Patrick Kirby, who is the founder and basically rock star of Do Good Better Consulting based out in Fargo, North Dakota. Patrick loves fundraising so much. Like, He's not just good at fundraising, he loves fundraising so much that he literally wrote the book on it and started an entire consulting agency on it. Basically, if there's someone you want to talk to about some great fundraising techniques, this would be your man to do so. And I'm hitting this topic really hard right now because, you know, we're, we're getting into Giving Tuesday. It is right around the corner, December 1st, Tuesday, December 1st. It's coming up super quick. And all of Q4 is wrapping up, which for nonprofits, this is just like, this is our mecca. This is the time that we are trying to hit fundraising so hard over the head and the year strong, especially a year like 2020 when we all have been struggling financially. Um, Everyone has been really hitting their fundraising strategies harder than ever and also feeling a little insecure about some of their tactics, some of their messaging, given the pandemic. So I thought that this conversation was just the perfect time to release this episode, get a little bit of Patrick's knowledge out there in the world. And trust me, you will feel the same after you listen to it. And also his five-step, five-day process um, to the keys of fundraising that he will go over, which are also in his book, which I will link down in the show notes. But before we get started, I need to make two quick announcements before we can get to Patrick. Number one, as I've mentioned a thousand times, Giving Tuesday is coming up. If you haven't listened to the episode with Mallory Erickson talking strictly about Giving Tuesday, go back two episodes to episode 20. Check it out. You will love it and just totally eat it up and write down some strategies with it because she's amazing. But this year, I'm super excited because the Operation Not Alone team, which if you are new around here, that is the nonprofit organization that I founded um, way back when in 2013 when I was just 18 years old and had no idea what was going on. Um, We've decided to do something super cool this year, and we will be sharing it very soon on, on social. But one of our dear friends and sponsors, Jack Chang with the Chang Real Estate Group, will be our matching sponsor this year. And so all donations that are made on Giving Tuesday will be matched um, by Jack up to $2,000, and we will be using basically every form of fundraising that day. So Facebook, Instagram, PayPal, um, you know, just right on our website directly. All of these things will be available. But if you are waiting to look at for some organizations, 
to hang out with on Giving Tuesday, come hang out with us. We would love to have you and help us really just smash the goal of $2,000 for Jack Chang. Number two, it is a favor, friends. If you are listening to this podcast, if you are hanging out with me in your ear, if you're hanging out with Patrick in your ear, I need you to pause. I need you to go to Apple Podcasts. I need a five-star rating and review. I need it deep in my soul, and I can feel it. I can feel that you are listening to this and you haven't left a rating or a review yet. I don't know why. You don't have to be shy. Don't hesitate. Just hit the little pause. I will wait for you. Go hit that little star. Even if you don't want to write a full review, I love the reviews. They make my heart so happy. They also make iTunes very happy and keep shoving the Make an Impact podcast higher up their rating charts, which helps other people find the podcast and learn better better things and we grow bigger and everything just gets so much better. But uh, we need it. If you don't write a full review, just hit that little five stars. Just hit it. Just tap it. That would be outstanding. But I need it. I will pause. I will wait. Beautiful. Okay. Thank you so much for doing that. I can feel it in my heart every time you guys do that. So thank you so much. All right. And without further ado, sweet friends, let's get into some fundraising tactics and learn how to fundraise awesomer with Patrick Kirby. Sure. Well, my name is Patrick Kirby. I'm the founder of Do Good Better Consulting. We're a firm that helps nonprofits suck less at fundraising. If I needed to have like an elevator pitch, that would be uh, that would be it. Uh, Journey started really right out of college. I was a um, uh, jobless because I had a politics degree, and they don't tell you that when you go to college. You're like you get a politics degree, they just don't give you a job. So uh, my old high school called and they said, "Hey, we've got an alumni fundraising gig that we think you'd be perfect at. Are you interested?" And I said, "Yep." So uh, that's kind of how I got started into the fundraising realm. There was a lot of appeals. Uh, it was a lot of special events, alumni kind of stuff. Uh, during that time, I actually ran for office. I ran for the House of Representatives in Minnesota. Oh, awesome. And um, it was great experience. Figured to use that politics degree for something. Um, I got my butt whipped in the election, like <laughs> overwhelmingly just destroyed. But I raised more money for my campaign than I was legally allowed to spend in a race according to like state law. So I could put a little thing in my brain, like, wait, I might be terrible at politics, but I'm a pretty good fundraiser. Uh, and that kind of stuck through the next sort of jaunt of the career. And I went to the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation, where I was the um, senior director that worked on the uh, walks and their uh, their galas and that kind of thing. I moved up to uh, from Minneapolis to North Dakota, Fargo, North Dakota. Uh, it's where my wife was from, and I just kind of fell in love with this area and started uh, from an outpost for the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation. Got recruited to work at the Ann Carlson Center as their chief development officer. And Ann Carlson Center is in the middle of nowhere, North Dakota. Mm-hmm. It is a place for uh, kids and young adults with developmental disabilities and delays, like serious um, hard births. Um, their own, you know, some of these kids are alive only by miracle of God or, or miracle of science, and that's it. And it was an organization that really empowered them to live their best life and their fullest, most independent life. And I was, get, I got to fundraise and market for that. I mean, it was just the most humbling, awesome experience ever. And it was just the best job I ever had in the entire world. But I had been asked to do some sort of consulting for some smaller nonprofits who just needed some little bit of help with fundraising and they didn't really know where to start. 
And I fell in love with that light bulb moment where you would just go, oh, that's, that was, that's actually pretty easy. And that, oh, thanks for that. And it just got, it got more and more like I needed to do this. And that's kind of how I started the consulting firm was like, I want to have that experience with, a, with as many people as possible. Mm-hmm. And I figured like doing my own thing would be great. And that's why I started Do Good Better. And we've sort of blown up and grown from there. And we're coming up on three years out of the gate. And that's kind of the fundraising journey from start to finish right there. Yeah, yeah that sounds awesome. I love it. And I will say right off the bat, when I was looking at your LinkedIn, I felt quite the ping in my heart for your work with the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation because my roommate, her mother has cystic fibrosis. So it's always been a big conversation that we've always had together in the like 10 years that I've known her. So I loved that I saw that. Um, Obviously, it was kind of an exciting transition for you to go from kind of not independent, um, you know, I want to say private nonprofit work into this consulting. I don't even know if that's the right way to say that. Um, but was that at all difficult to kind of leave just one organization and kind of branch into this many hat wearing consultant or tell us about that? Yeah, no, it was, uh, it was terrifying, uh, in one sense. Uh, I, we just had the birth of our daughter. Uh, and then like three months later, I told my wife, I'm like, Hey, I think, I think this is the right time to do this. And she looked at me like I had 48 heads. Well, that's, that's great, Patrick, but what's your, what's your game plan? I go, I really don't know, but it's going to be awesome. Um, And so it was terrifying in the sense of even knowing that nonprofits have a need to invest in themselves and a need to find individuals who can help them who are professionals, that sort of scarcity mindset of like, are nonprofits going to pay for like this? Is this something that they would be able to pay for? And that was the leap of faith that I needed to take and said, no, I've been in this realm long enough and I've, I've built enough credibility and I know my stuff enough to be confident to charge for these things. So that was my, the hardest part is I would, honest to God, I would do this for free every day if I could. If, I had, if, if my insurance companies and my uh, mortgage companies would take uh, hugs and high fives as payment rather than money. <laughs> I would do this for free. Right. Uh, so that's what makes me so excited about it is that every day I get to wake up really enthusiastic about helping people because it's literally the most fun I've ever had is having conversations with people who are doing amazing boots on the ground work, but just don't have enough time, energy, or effort or experience to kind of figure out what they need to do in order to save themselves a boatload of time of figuring it out on their own. Yeah, I love that. Um, I think it's really funny because I always joke that nonprofits are hard because A, it's sales, but all you're selling is like warm, fuzzy feelings to people. Yes, yes. <laughs> so it's so much harder because it's like you don't actually get a product or a service in return, but like a really great feeling in your heart. Uh, but two, have you ever seen, um, and if you haven't, I'll cut this part of the interview out, uh, Dan Pilata's TED Talk on the way yes. we think of charity is dead wrong. obsessed with it it's my favorite talk of all time but what i love what you said about um you know the scarcity mindset that a lot of times nonprofits have it's out of that because i think there's so much shame in the nonprofit sector if you take that money to try and grow and build your infrastructure and build a lot of the background of your fundraising so i like that you said you had to kind of get over that little that kind of shame bit of like no like this is what i charge this is what i'm worth because this is how much i can help you grow It's the same conversation that I have with nonprofits who are very concerned about the amount of money they spend on infrastructure for their organization. Mm -hmm. And they're like, well, we can't really do that because uh, that doesn't go to our programming. I go, no, that's BS. 
if you don't have somebody to run the programs and you're not paying for their salary, you have no programs. So you can't raise money for a program that doesn't exist because you don't have the infrastructure to pay for it. Or you don't have an internet to help you build these, uh, these systems, or you don't have a phone so that you can call donors. Like all of that is part of your programming. So you have to get it out of your brain that this is not uh, programming specific or you can't raise money for the, the nuts and bolts of keeping the doors open. Keeping the doors open is part of actually having programs and services in the first place. And so it drives me insane. And I love that Dan Pilata uh, talk because I think it yeah. opens up so many doors of conversations from potential donors who can't get it out of their brain that they can give you money and trust you as an organization to spend it properly the way that you that they trust you to do it mm-hmm. in a way that keeps not only the lights on, but then increases the amount of people that you can serve or entities that you can serve. It drives me nuts. I have, yeah. And that's a conversation that organizations of any size have all the mm-hmm. time. Yeah. Well, and that's even, it reminds me of the charity water structure. They've always yeah. dedicated to a 100% model. So they made two bank accounts, one to serve their overhead, one to serve their mission so that people were more conscious about donating to their overhead, but they've gotten million dollar donations to their overhead because people understand if you pay good people, then they can do good work, but you have to get, you have to keep people there and let them keep their lights on in their houses. Right. So it's, yeah, it's so silly. It, it, drive, it drives it, yeah, it drives me insane is that you're like, well, we're, we want you and you're a talented individual, but we're not really interested in paying you that much. We're like, well, that, that's the whole purpose. Like that's right. what you need to do. And, and they don't, I don't think they see the long-term investment. And this goes to a lot of issues, the systemic across the board. And I think one of them are board of directors who don't have a lot of experience or their mm-hmm. amateur board of directors that don't understand foresight and vision and taking the mission statement and running with what could we do with this and what can we do to keep pushing us forward? They're so hell bent on looking at a budget item that has red, green, or yellow on it. Mm-hmm. And that's what they're concentrating on rather than getting out of the day-to-day activities, overseeing it and saying, but what can we possibly do to serve more, to do more, to do better? And that's oh, that just that's an aspect of this frustration is that boards don't see the quality people that they could hire mm-hmm. to help them push forward. Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad that we're <laughs> that we had this conversation. You have a mind meld. This is it's exactly always how. been a huge like frustration with me. So I love when other people in the field <laughs> have the same one. So because I think this is how we can also start changing like the whole entire structure of nonprofits in the future, so that we actually have talented like we can hire going back to Dan Pilata the Stanford MBAs <laughs> yes. to come back and do it because now we have their talent because now we can pay them for that so absolutely no love it yeah. agree 100% yes <laughs> love it so I want to hop over to your website because obviously I did a little deep dive of it uh what is fundraising therapy yeah I so when I'm trying to figure out what I what I do and that's most people think uh hey you do fundraising consulting what does that mean it, it's, a, it's a lot of hats. The one thing that I pointed out a lot, especially on the website, is, yeah, this fundraising therapy. I spend a great deal of time talking with either current or potential clients and just intaking, they just need to let it out to somebody. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the nonprofit world, I think people have, um, they look at other people's successes and then they compare it to what their own organization is doing. And they just think, well, well, clearly I'm not doing what everybody else is doing. They're doing so much better than I am. 
my board doesn't listen to me, my volunteers are a pain in my rear. There's no real place to talk about that with somebody who has had an experience or you know multiple years of experience within either those roles um, or at nonprofits. And it just feels good to release all this frustration that you've been having because you can't tell it to your peers because they this it's very incestuous in the nonprofit world, first of all. It'll get you don't want to feel like you're not living up to expectations from your own board. So you don't want to like lay this out on the line to them. If you are an executive director or you're a, a higher ranking uh, person within your organization, you don't want to download this to some other employee. So you need to talk to somebody who's not going to go and spill the beans to everybody else so that you can start at a place or a conversation of like, how do I solve this? Um, a mentor of mine back in the day when I was, in, uh, you know, working in the boots on the ground fundraising, you know, chief development, chief development officer operations kind of thing would always say, all right, you get five, 10 minutes to complain, and then we're going to figure out how to solve it. And I've always taken that as sort of like, that was such a wonderful door opening opportunity for me just to sort of feel better about myself. And then now we can address what to do to fix it. Mm -hmm. And that I've always, I always like getting a, a good idea of where you're coming from and where your frustrations are, because I can then attune them to like what I've experienced and what I've seen other people have that same experience. I got a fix for you. Let's build these processes or let's, let's do these few steps uh, to fix it um, rather than just, you know, give you a, here's their basic need of, here's a fundraising thing that I just did. That's not really relatable at all. And it feels good to let this off your shoulders a little bit. Yeah. I've actually even heard that as a, um, a trauma technique where it's like you almost set a, a specific time in your day and also a time limit to kind of think about it, deal with it. Because when you can focus it on that, then you're not carrying it around all day long. Yes. You know, you yes. have this like one designated time, you're going to unload all of these yeah. like negative thoughts and feelings yep. and then you can keep going. So I love that advice. And also just even that little couple of minutes felt like therapy for me, for my own organization. Yeah. So thank yeah. you. <laughs> it's, it's a safe space to do it in that you, you don't have to go to your peers or your coworkers mm -hmm. and do it. And I, th I think that's just an important thing to do to build rapport. And it's an important thing to just do for your own mental health as a fundraising professional, for sure. Yeah, I love it. So let's talk about, um, so your fundraising, obviously you are a fundraising guru of sorts. Oh. Let's talk about, so what are things that you have learned that have been really successful? Like what are these tips and tricks that people um, don't really know that they have to, like a hurdle to overcome to have a really good successful fundraising campaign, whether that's in person, at an event, however that goes. Um, I think the one thing that people forget because we live in a world now that requires immediate self-gratitude, right? Like you just have to be gratified or have a feeling like we did something successful right away is that people often forget that this is a long play mm -hmm. and they don't take time to just take a deep breath and say, what am I doing today as a donor relationship to move the needle forward for that long-term relationship rather than what I can get in the immediacy. It's what board of directors rarely get is that fundraising takes time. Great fundraising takes a long time. And I think really it's thinking about things that are not the size of your donor's wallet, but have everything to do with asking them questions about what they love, what they dislike, and, and really aligning them correctly with things within your organization, first and foremost. The money will come. 
the money will come when people are aligned with your mission and they really love what you do and they have high capacity that will that will eventually come but they want to feel like they're going to give to an organization that understands them. They're very donor centric. And we hear that all the time. And, and, and some people have a, have, you know, sort of, well, then give them options or whatever, get to know them as a person, get to know them. So you can align them with this program aligns with what you told me about your kids or whatever. And we usually go through a couple of things um, maybe. And here's like a tip. If you're, if you're going to have this as a, as a mental, uh, thing to go with for your rest of your week. You're listening to this podcast. You're like, what can I do today to move the needle forward? It's this. It's um, it's ask people about a vacation they went on, right? You might get an answer for, hey, I shouldn't do this, but every every year we bring up all the grandkids to a resort and we hang out as a, as a family. Like, How many kids is that? Well, it's like 13. Well, what did you just find out in that simple question about asking them, not about if they were willing to donate to your organization, but what did they like doing or what did they do? You know, A, they love traveling. B, they love their family. C, they probably really like kids. So if you have anything within that program or your program where you offer travel to kids who can't get it or kids programs or some sort of family centric programming that you would have, you now know this person is probably open to listening to your organization. That's a great tool to have in your back pocket rather than a list of things that they could help you fundraise with. And I think that mindset change to thinking, how, how can I play this for the long run rather than the immediate gratitude of getting money in now? And how can I build myself a plan of action to just methodically march down the field rather than just sprint to the finish line? Oh, I like that. So have you ever seen anything that we do nowadays uh, that's like a very outdated way of fundraising? Mm. It's interesting that outdated fundraising is actually making a comeback. Oh, okay. (laughs) I want to throw this question back because it's funny. It's because think about uh, mail, Mm. right? What still to this day, 70% of everything that you raise online is, is stimulated from something you physically get in the mail. And, and direct mail is something that a lot of people and organizations are looking at their budget line and abandoning because they don't find the value in it. Like they're not thinking about it. If you write a decent appeal letter and you are consistently connecting with your donors about things that are not necessarily asking them all the time, it's one of the most powerful tools in your arsenal. And because everybody is ditching it, you're becoming like the only group in your neck of the woods that's actually getting something physically into somebody's hands. And this whole move to virtual everything, you're going to still want something physical in your hand while you're watching, uh, you know, sort of an online fundraiser. You know, that's what those trinkets that you send people that they have a constant reminder of you is so important. That old school fundraising is fantastic. And it's making, I think, I think it should make a comeback because it's something that's not a Facebook post. It's something that's not an email that gets lost. It's something that's not a tweet that gets maybe, uh, or a text message that gets misinterpreted. You can craft out these beautiful messages of need and still make a massive impact for your donor base. Oh, okay. I like- so it's, a roundabout, it's a roundabout way yeah. of answering the old school things. Um, yeah, no, and I think, really- I, think what's really, I think what's really going by the wayside is a pure, uh, unadulterated only digital campaigning because mm-hmm. I think it's too much. I think you get inundated with too much information now and you have to do so much differently than anybody else to rise above 
For example, in North Dakota, we have 5,100 nonprofits. Hmm. We have less than a million people who live here. That is a boatload of nonprofits per person, like per capita. Mm -hmm. And if everybody is asking for money, you have to do something so dramatically different to stand out in the crowd. And that's very difficult in a digital space where you are, you kind of live in a bubble and you don't necessarily see everything. And I think direct mail is a, a really good approach to go to. Yeah, very interesting. But one thing you also said that kind of triggered me a little bit was uh, for the dig- for the pure digital campaigns that it's not an email that gets lost. I think people are getting, and that's not contradicting because I think email marketing is incredibly important, but very. how many emails do you get in a oh, day? And you right. just go through and there's so many you just like keep tapping through. And so when that's your only source of it, it's incredibly important, but at the same time, we're now so sick of it. Like emails are, are right. becoming white noise. So yes. I, I like that you said that. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about events, yes. fundraising events. Um, what has been some of your biggest pet peeves with in-person events and now mm. with virtual events? Oh man. Um, my biggest pet peeve in virtual events is not fundraising purposefully. Um, and I, and I, there are an, an incredible amount of groups that assume everybody in the room knows what you need and how much you need. And then don't, but don't explicitly say that don't have a fund to need, for example, which, which is drives me insane because people want to give to an organization. They, yeah, you can get a gift basket and yeah, you can get something like that. It's great. But people are there to either know about your organization. If you're not telling them what you need or what you do or what your impact is, you are losing an opportunity to capture an audience's attention in the room. You've closed the doors. You've given them a bunch of booze. They're listening to you. Tell me what you want, and I will give it to you in some sort of fashion. And I've seen a lot of organizations just rely on, hey, we've got letters on the, we got notes on the table. Feel free to give what you can give. No, stop it. That's the worst thing ever because you are now leaving it up to their own devices rather than positioning yourself as we need to raise this money to do this. So please give this amount or, hey, raise your hand at certain levels. Mm-hmm. What I, what, what makes me irate about the virtual events are people who just cancel them instead of converting to virtual events. You know, you can't gather people in hundreds of people now in a room. So people are just actually just canceling and say, hey, we'll ride this out and we just don't need to fundraise. And, and maybe we don't think that we are as important as, uh, as other needs in this, in this area. Well, that's doing a disservice to those who support you. And it's doing a disservice to your momentum. And I really just find it disheartening for organizations who are not taking that digital route or at least something in the digital world. Um, and that just drives me absolutely insane. Yeah, no, that's a good thing to know though. Cause I think um, I saw that a lot this year with, you know, how you can do a birthday fundraiser on Facebook. So obviously yep. every, every year I do it for my own organization, which is called Operation All Alone. Yep. And it's always utilized a couple hundred dollars, which has always been so lovely. Um, you know, friends, family, all those fun things. And this year I was so nervous to do it because I was like, ah, you know, I was like, the unemployment rate is skyrocketing. People are really tight with their pocketbooks. I was like, I don't know if people are going to donate. But what I promised in it was that everything I raised in that birthday fundraiser went to our new service, which was COVID relief kits, which was supplementing a week's worth of groceries for um, like a family in need. And I said, the cost of every single box is $40. And so if you donate like that much, then you will be matched up with, you know, someone who needs that box. I'll let you know who that person is. Um, And it was the most we've ever raised in a day. We we hit the goal in a day because I was very specific. And I was like, we need $40 per box. 
So I like that you said that. It's like kind of don't leave it up to people. They want that stake in the ground. Running a business, working your nonprofit, or just simply making an impact takes a lot of energy, which means you need the drink of champions, coffee. Specifically, you need Door County Coffee, a gourmet coffee roastery on a mission to bring you the best coffee on the planet. And that isn't hard when they only roast the top 2% of Arabica beans grown in the entire world. Try any of their medium or dark roasts, like my personal favorite, the Heroes Blend. Or you can try one of their almost 100 delicious flavors like Highlander Grog, Frosted Cinnamon Buns, or Vanilla Creme Brulee. They ship all across the country, so try your first pot today by going to DoorCountyCoffee.com and using the code IMPACT for 15% off your order. That's I-M-P-A-C-T for 15% off at DoorCountyCoffee.com. And get caffeinated today. Do you think that we'll ever fully go back to in-person events, or is virtual fundraising here to stay forever now? Both, yes. So I think we will get eventually down the line whenever this thing goes away or gets to the point where people are just so fed up with it, they don't care. I mean, it's one of those two. I think that's going to be it. Um, Yes, there will be in-person events. However, I think streaming and doing them virtually as well and in conjunction with it Mm -hmm. is here to stay. You reach so many more people in a virtual setting than you do in person. Mm -hmm. You're your donors from across state lines or in different countries or throughout the region that can't make it to an actual event can still give to you in a virtual setting. And so what we're finding now is that uh, clients of ours who are working with us on virtual events are raising more, have more engagement, have more people logging on than they've ever had who would be an in-person event. They get to control it from a, you save them time, right? So you're not doing a three and a half hour event that you gotta get dressed up and spend money on a new dress and spend money on new uh, shoes. Because guys aren't really buying new stuff. They're just getting in the closet, whatever. But that's kind of the bit, right? Yeah. So um, so you're saving all of this money. You're saving all of this time. You're saving all of this uh, energy of planning these events. And you're raising more and you're interacting more. And I think that's such a wonderful opportunity for nonprofits to maintain, even though in-person events will actually still happen. Mm-hmm. But that streaming mechanism and that engagement mechanism is so critical that I don't think people can give it up. I really don't. Yeah. So maybe kind of the future is always like doing a combined event. Like you can come to the in-person and you can mingle and you can meet people. And it's like, or if you live in California, hop on, like we'll live stream the whole thing. This hybrid thing is here to stay. And I think if it's done well and you're very purposeful with curating an event that is both entertaining in person, but is uh, purposeful online, I think mm-hmm. you're going to have a wonderful, great success. Yeah. Okay. I like that. And I also like the idea too, that we said, even if it is virtual, like still do something to put something in someone's hand, you know, yes. they still have a little bit of that buy-in so they don't feel like they're just logging yeah. on to like a Zoom call for fun. Right. Yes. <laughs> awesome. So let's kind of transition a little bit um, to you. So a few things, again, I also was kind of curious to ask you, um, you seem to have quite the the speaking business you also like do a lot of keynotes how has that kind of helped you grow the consulting business and kind of grow your name a little bit yeah well I think um it's one to kind of get into really a small niche of you know small medium-sized nonprofits, and that's great um but I think uh speaking to a number of people a everybody has some sort of charity they always want um b 
using all of my uh, my skills as a theater kid from uh, from <laughs> from a high school theater kid, <laughs> finally putting them to good use. Um, and I think to to capture the attention of people right now, you have to put yourself in different places and uh, in front of new people. And I think that is really critical to do speaking gigs and to be to MC events. I, I just I'm obsessed with MCing events. We just got done yesterday with a chamber event here in town. And mm. it took like two months to curate and create that script and that run of show and all the jokes that were, you know, that are as acceptable as possible to the 2000 businesses who are going to be watching this thing. I think that puts a lot of creative juices in the brain that helps even nonprofits going forward mm. or businesses. Um, I, I've developed a, a keynote um, for businesses called treating your customers the way nonprofits treat their donors. Because everything that I've learned in the 15 years of nonprofit experience on how to keep your donor attrition rate low can be used in the business world if you just showcase appreciation and gratitude and celebrate with them and pay attention to things that don't necessarily have the size of their checking checking account in mind first. And if you use that in the business terms, you're doing something different than anybody else. And so there's so much cross-pollination with who you can get in front of. And there's so many things that you learn in the nonprofit world that you can attribute to the business world that I think it makes perfect sense. And I just, I love the idea of being uh, able to spend and spread this message to as many people as possible, the mm -hmm. same way that nonprofits need to say who they are to as many people as possible too. It's like living this, it's living this double life as a business owner and as a nonprofit advocate and doing the same skills that I would use in either one for the whole uh, consulting business as a whole. Mm -hmm. Minimum, I just love, <laughs> I love that talk idea of how to, because I do think that would help a lot of businesses with <laughs> the way that nonprofits care for their donors yes. <laughs> and meet with them. So I love that idea. It's such a simple concept that I think people can so get behind because it doesn't take a lot of money or energy. It just refocuses what they're asking and they're talking to and talking about. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really the key. And and when, when you're trying to differentiate yourself from the, your competitors, you know, is low price the only thing you're going to concentrate on or is it the relationship? Yeah. I dare say it's going to be relationship hands over hand, you know, nine times out of 10. Yeah. Well, and the other thing too, I, what I think I can gather from you, I haven't <laughs> listened to a full speech of you, but I think what's important too is understanding that nonprofits can also, like you said, have fun, have yes. jokes. It's yeah. not this, uh, this like very sad, almost, uh, I want to say doom and gloom, but I don't mean that, you know, you don't always have to like make people cry to make people no. care. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, I think, I think a friend of mine, uh, Scott Burlegang, who is a, uh, an executive director, up in uh, Northern North Dakota, gave a really wonderful talk. And he's in the, the developmental disability community. And that's mm -hmm. his, Independence Inc. is his, uh, his group that he works on. Um, and he does a talk about inspiration porn, about how you're taking like the, like the worst parts of like everything you see on TV and then using that as your only catalyst to raise money. And I'm like, oh God, it's, it's, it's absolutely true. And to your point, you can use humor. You can use, uh, that's relatable to most people. And if you walk around this uh, nonprofit world and you just are dour and dire about everything and everything's an issue and everything is the worst and everything is doom and gloom, people are going to get really bored with that. Look at your social media feeds, for God's sakes. I mean, it is, everything is horrible and the worst. And you're drawn to mm -hmm. comedy, light, 
um, people who are affable and and sort of draw in that positivity and enthusiasm. That's what draws people in. And now you got a message that matches with it too. Go, get on with yourself. That's awesome. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. I yeah, because I always think about that the Sarah McLaughlin yes. uh, song commercial with all like, the oh. abused puppies, and it's just like at some point like. You can't make me cry with these puppies anymore. You can't do and the sad songs. I was like, you we've done that one to death. Like start, yeah, start making people laugh, make people have fun. Yes. Um, so what other advice do you have for like budding public speakers that want to try and get in front of the nonprofit sector, but also the business sector? Because like you said, it, it's it helps you just get in front of more people uh, yeah. and reach a bigger audience, quite literally, because you get yeah. to share with them. So yeah, what kind of tangible advice do you have for those people? Uh, the first thing that I would say is think about what it's like to watch somebody that you just thought was a bad speaker, like, or, or th- put yourself in the audience's shoes. I know everybody's got a message and I know that everybody's got a story that they want to tell. And that's great. And harness that energy into your, into your public speaking. But I think you really have to create speaking from an audience's perspective first, and then work and reverse engineer everything that you want to say that is entertaining and is purposeful that people will pay attention to because people like i said people have the attention span of gnats right now and so they cannot listen to a 90-minute keynote about your top 27 steps to being a better person if they don't have any interest at all so build it from a what are people looking at and what are people experiencing and how do people want to see me reverse engineer it, and then build your speech from there. That's the number one thing that I would say. Number two is keep it way shorter than you think you should. Nobody has ever said, boy, that speech was way too short. Nobody, not not a single person on God's green earth has ever said that's too short. Everybody remembers the person that droned on for too long, right? And I'll give you an example. (laughs) Think of the last wedding you went to where the bridesmaid or the groomsman talked for 98 minutes and they kind of rambled and all you wanted to do was get fed, but the food's not coming out until they're done, right? And the only thing you're thinking about in your back of your head is like, please shut up for the love of God, shut up. (laughs) So think about that and then do the opposite of it for your speaking engagement because you want to leave people wanting to know more. You want them to know, boy, I'd like to learn more about that, or if they've got any other speeches, or they've got any other programs, or they've got any other um, things that I can learn from them about. And so just leave them wanting a little more. Don't put everything out there into what you don't need to say everything. Mm. That you like dip number two. Just it's okay not to say everything. Um, and then I would think about it from a theatrics standpoint. And whether you need to take an improv class or whether you need to watch Les Mis 48 times, whatever the whatever you need to do, um, watch Hamilton at least 70 times. It's good enough to do that. Um, <laughs> think, about, think about how that show runs, right? They it, let's talk. Have you have you seen Hamilton? I think most people have it's okay. okay. I haven't. I know. Okay. I'm terrible. Okay. I need to but get no, on. You're not. I need I need to get some Disney Plus and just need, <laughs> actually watch just it. Rent, just get the free month and watch it 30 times. It's great. Okay. Yeah. But it, regardless of it, it's it's it, it runs through the same theater mm-hmm. uh, uh, reel that everybody else does, and and watch for the the pinnacle of the event, and then and then the down downstroke, right? So everything builds to a point. Mm-hmm. Everything builds to something. 
make that build and think of it as an audience who is sitting in the theater watching you, right? Everything stacks on top of something and it comes to a point and that's your big ask or your big thing. And this happens to do with either speakers or nonprofit events or whatever, like it builds to something. And then the release is, and this is how you, or this is how we're going to make an impact or whatever. Right. So just think about it in a way of a musical or think about it as a movie or whatever that is. Think about your speech in theatrics so that you're building the way that everybody is used to building a show. It doesn't have to be three and a half hours long, but it just has to build and you have to think about it in that particular way. And that's those are the three things that I would say as a takeaway from a speaker, you know, up and coming speaker. Think about those kind of things. Oh, I love that. And I the other funny thing you said about speech is going too long i think it's a it's a ted talk thing they've studied this um no ted talk is longer than 18 minutes they cut you at 18 because they learned that that is the cap of human like yes. uh attention span yep like if it's longer than 18 minutes like you stop retaining, <laughs> retaining it and so and it's like you need to go for, yeah, 18, yeah. <laughs> and if you and if you're and if you are building your public speaking or you're building your virtual speaking and you have to fill 45 minutes because that's the expectation of the contract great here's here's the tip spend most of your time working on your first three and a half minutes of material and then work on the last bit that they remember you by because everything else sandwiched in between nobody's going to remember mm-hmm. like oh yeah i remember him being funny or i remember her saying some really interesting things great they'll remember the first part and they'll remember the last part so work on those two things more than anything else and you'll you'll be fine oh love that Uh, and then my last question for you is and i actually see it behind you right now and i wish i could show this because it's like a beautiful office setup (laughs) um is your book so can you like what was the inspiration behind writing your book uh what can people kind of find if they were to read that from you and learn from you uh tell us about that well i appreciate that well it's um it it is the reason I wrote the book is that I got asked the question a lot when I first started uh, doing this was, I don't know what the hell to do first. Like that was the, the, everybody's coming to say, just give me some sort of direction on what to do. And I think there's so much information out there and there's so many answers. There's just so many like routes you could go. I wanted to write something that was simple and I wanted to have something that was very easy to get into and read and just be a part of. So I wrote it and it's called Fundraise Awesomer a practical guide to staying sane while doing good. And it is a framework by which you can, as a fundraiser, work through your work week. So every day, there's one thing that you work on, whether that's 20 minutes a day, 40 minutes, two hours, whatever. And it builds on each other throughout the week. So that at the end of the week, you can actually look back and go, I did something and that I can be you know, proud of that moved the needle forward. And because we wear 10,000 different hats, we get distracted by a ton of different things. And so this is just a framework by uh, that you get to work by. So Mondays are for planning. Tuesdays are for doing. Wednesdays are for documenting. Thursdays are for celebrating. And Fridays are for appreciating. And you just spend 20 minutes a day doing one of those things every day of the week, right? So you spend your time on Monday expecting all hell to break loose with your workday. So what's the one or two things that you have to prioritize to get done more than anything else? Tuesdays, and I have zero scientific proof for this, but I just uh, feel it in my gut that Tuesdays are the most productive day of the week because you've already planned it. So just do something. So make an ask, make a meeting, curate some sort of thing that you uh, think is important to do and do it. Planning forever, planning to plan the plan, the plans, the plan is garbage if you don't do anything with it. 
And then once you have these amazing conversations with donors, you're going to want to document it somewhere on a cocktail napkin in a CRM system, whatever it is. It's all rattling around in your brain, all these amazing connections. So get that down on paper so you can refer to it later in conversation with that same donor. We don't do enough celebrating in the nonprofit world at all. We just think it's bragging, especially here in the Midwest. Like we just think it's like if you celebrate, you're like, hey, look how good I'm doing. It's not. Uh, donors want to hear how great you're doing. So celebrate with them. So spend some time saying, hey, we did great things together. This is what we did, right? People want to hear that. Uh, and then finally, end the week with appreciation. And if people don't take anything out of the book other than this, it's spend time writing five handwritten thank you notes a week to anybody, not necessarily only donors. Because if, if people donate to your organization, yes, you have to say thank you. Otherwise, you're not going to get another donation. But spend time saying thank you to other people in the community or leaders or, or volunteers or staff members. Be the organization that people have the expectation that you are the most grateful, full of gratitude for just life in general, because people are going to be attracted to you. And then by the time Monday rolls around, when you are in your planning mode, the last people, the last time or the last thing that people remember is a handwritten thank you note that had nothing to do with the size of their checkbook, right, by the way, just being grateful for them. And so when you're trying to plan a meeting with a donor, the last thing they remember you is that little handwritten thank you note. You can start the cycle all over again. And that's what the book is about. It's it's tangible stories from the last, you know, uh, decade and a half of fundraising experience that I've had. And then in between sandwiched is this framework that you get to uh, have a fundraising fun with. And it's a pretty easy read and it's pretty awesome. I think awesomer. So awesomer. I love that. I love it because I didn't have any idea what the book was about other than you wrote it and I saw the cover of it. So love that idea. Love that framework. So we are actually ready to wrap up. I like ask, ending every interview with this question. And I know this is like your entire life <laughs> in the consulting world, but how do you strive to make an impact every single day? I, I strive to give more than I expect to get every single day. And whether that is advice from people, I never, I've uh, yet to uh, say no to a coffee meeting. I've never said no to a phone call. I might be behind schedule a little bit because I just can't keep, keep up occasionally. Um, but I have always strived to give as much information and as much as possible. I want everybody to succeed. Uh, I, I, re, I wholeheartedly believe in the rising sh uh, tide helps all ships. Mm. And if I can help organizations of any size do amazing work that helps everybody else uh, either strive to do better or um, to do more aggressive fundraising or more awesome fundraising or come up with creative ideas. And I'll give it all away for free. Honest to God, I just don't really mind that at all because I know it'll come back tenfold because I know people find the value in it. And I just want to be a person people can call at any time or any day or whatever and get some help. And whether, because I, I know how, what it feels like to not have a resource that I feel comfortable with just asking a random question. And so I've always prided myself on giving as much as I possibly can and everything else will work out, I think. So, yeah, that's that abundance mindset coming back. So I love time. it. Yes. That's awesome. Patrick, this was such a treat. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this and share a lot of your expertise. Uh, where can people find you, learn from you, connect with you, give us all the things. Absolutely. Well, Susan, thank you so much for having me on. I love this. I love talking about this. I love the platform you have for the, the this is just great all around. Uh, people can find me at dogoodbetterconsulting.com. Uh, you find me on Facebook. Uh, that's pretty easy. LinkedIn at fundraising dad, Twitter at fundraising dad, Instagram at fundraising dad. Like it's all, <laughs> just Google fundraising dad or do good, better consulting. Google that you can find me in all the 
social media pieces too. And um, yeah, feel free to reach out. And if you had a question or uh, you can find the book on Amazon, it's pretty easy. Fundraise Awesomer, Just Google that and that's should come up too. So sounds yeah. great. I love that your tagline is fundraising dad. That's so cute. Love that. <laughs> Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Make an Impact podcast. If you enjoyed yourself, would you do a little rate, review, subscribe dance? And if you really enjoyed yourself, would you share this on social media so someone else could catch the impact bug? Until next time, friend, I can't wait to see what kind of impact you make on your world.